Okay, Jeff, I am really glad um, we're back in the seat and continuing our conversation from last week. For our readers and listeners, uh, this is a reminder that this is part two of a conversation. Uh, In part one, Jeff gave us a template for understanding what is happening in the macro environment and why this downturn feels different than ones that CEOs, founders, investors may have lived through in the past. He helped us build a mental model to look at what's happening to the cost of capital, not just the price, but the cost of capital, the cost of talent, both in terms of wages and salaries, and what talent is demanding in terms of a workplace environment and what, they, what talent needs from its leaders, and also the cost of driving growth. So building off of last week's model, help us understand what do we do about it? Where do we go from here? Yeah, well, thank you, Angie, for continuing the conversation. Um, You know, we just had the SVB collapse and a lot of things are happening. And so we see the cost of capital rising. We see all these things happening. And uh, it just feels like now is the right time to be having these conversations because literally hundreds of people are reaching out to us and saying, what do I do about this? And given what we talked about last week, uh, where we are is to say, hey, listen, when you when you're in this kind of environment, there's really no playbook. And when there's no playbook, what you have to do is you need to learn your way to success. And I think that's a very scary answer for people because it sort of has that visual image of being dropped in the middle of a jungle and not knowing where water, food, or shelter is and having to sort of slash and slash your way out. Uh, Meanwhile, everything is trying to eat you. Like, That's not what we're saying when we're saying you have to learn your way out of it. There actually is a way to learn your way out of it. In other words, there are experienced explorers who get dropped into unfamiliar places and successfully navigate their way out. And there are people who are unsuccessful explorers or unpracticed explorers who really struggle with even a minor dislocation or change. We want to help you become experienced, uh, effective explorers and learners. So... I wanted to take through, um, I was, I've been thinking a lot about this and I was thinking about, you know, structuring this in different ways. And I decided this past weekend, I instead wanted to tell a story. It's a deeply personal story for me. I've written about it inside of talentism. I haven't talked about it more broadly than that. And that is this health, uh, health experience I had starting almost exactly a year ago. So let's go back to November, 2021. Uh, I am starting to experience some weird health symptoms. Uh, I'm in pain all the time, like perpetually. I'm popping Advil like uh, vitamins. I am getting up in the morning. It's hard to get out of bed. It's difficult to move. There are a lot of other symptoms that are happening. And obviously these are all bad signs, but I'm also at the same time, I'm losing weight which is something I've always struggled with. Uh, my, my weight is something that I measure every day with almost without fail. And uh, I, track, uh, I track religiously. And even if it's not changing or it's going up, I'm still tracking it. So very little, very little connection between how I was living my life and what that measurement was telling me. But I was super thrilled when it was going down. I was pretty excited about that. And yet, it feels terrible. 
And eventually it's getting into March of 2022, March of last year. And I'm thinking, you know, this, this probably really isn't good. So I finally go into a doctor. I give the doctor my symptoms. They take a test. It's called an A1C test. The A1C test is for uh, blood sugar. It's a type of blood sugar, resident blood sugar. It attaches to the red blood cells. And uh, what you're hoping is that test is going to come in somewhere below five. And if it comes in between six, seven, you've got problems. And if it comes in between eight and 11, you are type two diabetic. You're really diabetic. The test came back in. They did it right there in the doctor's office. The test came back in. Woman, uh, the, the nurse walks in to talk to the doctor, says, gives the number. And the doctor quite literally dropped her clipboard and said, I'm so sorry, your number is 13. We've, we haven't seen a number this high. Um, wow. you, are, you have very advanced diabetes. And, uh, and we, should, we should talk about what this means. This is a, this is a life-threatening illness you have. Your pain is evident of, your symptoms are evident of your in, um, having neuropathy. We expect you have fatty liver disease, which further tests revealed I did. Uh, we expect you'll start going blind soon. So this is what we expect is going to start happening to you. And uh, what she said at the time was, in addition to that, is very few people, I, I really like her as a doctor, her bedside manner wasn't great, but she said very few people actually, when the number is like in this level, very few people turn around from this. So talk to your loved ones and all this kind of stuff. So I'm sort of in shock. I walk to the car. I start crying. I walk in. My wife's at home. I walk in at home. I just burst into tears, which I cry frequently, just to be clear. I, lo I love uh, crying, but I rarely cry out of like shock or, or that kind of thing. I'm more of a good movie crier. Um, and, and so I didn't know what to do. And, you know, for about three or four days, I sort of walked around shell-shocked. I, I had no clue. Um, and so I started doing some research and I started trying to figure it out. And, and once you do the research, everybody's got their playbook. Like, this is the thing you realize, like, you need to go on insulin. Don't go on insulin. You need to cut out all carbs. No, go on the Mediterranean diet. That's some carbs. You need to exercise a lot. You need to exercise a little. Here's all the nutritional advice you got. Like, it was a cluster. There was no way I could make heads or tail of it. And I was pretty despondent. About a week after my diagnosis, I had a business trip back to California. I live on the East Coast. I had a business trip back to California. And I'd been trying to see an old friend of mine, a fellow I had worked from, I worked with in uh, the days when Talentism worked with Palantir. And, uh, and this guy's name is Kurt Schwartz. And, and Kurt, somehow we said, okay, yeah, let's meet. It'd been difficult to get together at that point, but this time we did. And I shared this story with Kurt. And uh, it so happened that Kurt was at that point in his life, after a, a very long and distinguished career in tech, had decided he really wanted to prioritize helping other people with their health. And he had made that decision within the last week, and I was the first person he was talking to about it. And here I was presenting this case of like despondency, and I didn't know what to do. And the long story short, I'll say, you know, Kurt Schwartz saved my life and I'll forever be grateful to him for that. But I think there's a really important lesson here. Like I think what happened, so 
to go to the end of the story, uh, I've dropped my A1C down to 4.1. I've gotten, I've reversed the fatty liver disease. I did in fact start losing my sight. I reversed that. I've reversed the neuropathy. All my tests are normal. Uh, as a matter of fact, far superior to where I was when I was the healthiest in my entire life. Wow. So, so that's what's happened. And it's been almost exactly a year. The diagnosis was on April 1st, 2022. So we're recording this on March 14th. So almost exactly a year. And I think in the conventional wisdom, people would think, oh, what, what Jeff got scared and then he got disciplined. Jeff's got grit. He got disciplined. And so he set an audacious goal and he worked at it. And that is wrong. That is not what happened because that's not how success happens. And I think it's really important to understand this journey through the lens of what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, how founders should navigate the current environment because they're getting a dire diagnosis. Founders are getting a dire diagnosis right now. It's a diagnosis that they could lose something they really care about. Maybe not as much as their lives, but they care about a lot, and that's their companies. And they, and they are hearing lots of different advice. You need to cut everything. You need to cut your way to success. You need to grow your way out of success. You need to do A. You need to do B. Just like when I started researching diabetes, I can't tell you how many world experts I either talked to or read about that contradicted each other point by point and were completely confident the entire time that they were right and the other person was wrong. You, with a disease like diabetes, there is no playbook that is guaranteed to work for you. When you are in a situation as a founder in the current situation, there is no playbook that is guaranteed to work for you. While diabetes and the current environment are very different things, they follow that pattern. You have to learn your way out of them. And the question is, how do you do that? Well, you have to actually understand this simple premise. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And this is really, by the way, I'm, I'm copying that, quoting that directly from James, James Clear in Atomic Habits. I didn't come up with it. He did. Great book. Everybody should read it. But um, but when I read that, it really was a nice articulation of something I've been saying for a long, long time. Humans are not robots with hearts. We are apes with calculators. We create our environment, and then we are affected by that environment. And this is all happening unconsciously. And so what you have to do if you want to learn your way out of the jungle you've been dropped into is you have to have a system that gets you out of the jungle. And the system isn't, I'm just going to have the sharper machete and swing harder for longer, and that's what's going to work. And when I take a look at the advice that founders get today, that's what the advice looks like to me. Sharper machete, swing harder, just be swinging it harder, longer, and you will get out of the jungle. That is a hope is a strategy sort of premise. It doesn't work. So I wanted to go through what I did in order to get to this point of this success. And who knows what the future holds, but right here, right now, I got my blood numbers in front of me. I've got my health numbers, my leading indicators. Like right now, I've got a lot of confidence that this thing has been reversed, at least right now. Um, so I want to yeah. pause us for a minute because you shared um, some profound insights and I, I just want to punctuate them. So 
first, thank you for sharing um, your health journey with us. That's a personal story and um, opening that up to to uh, the Talentism community and, and to our listeners and our readers. Um, it's very much appreciated. And then second, I want to say, boy, am I glad <laughs> um, as somebody who works at Talentism that um, this is something you've prioritized prioritized, and, and you've created a system in which you can um, learn into what a healthy path looks like for you. Uh, we count on you, Jeff. And then I want to um, highlight a couple of things that you said that I think um, uh, that, that might sound scary or might they might provide relief to people listening. So the first one is... Um, this is a moment which is uh, relatively unprecedented. But because you as a founder or a CEO are surrounded by well-meaning people who will give advice of the nature, do as I did or do as it would benefit me, they are going to try and tell you what to do. And that might give you the false impression that there's a playbook here. And all I have to do is listen to people who have been through this before. But I think I hear you saying, Jeff, that there's two things wrong with that statement. One is the people telling you what to do haven't actually been here before because this time is different. And also, they're not you. And that's a really important part of the equation. So that I'm hearing that as an important point that we want to make sure it lands with, with the folks who are, are taking something away from this. And then the other point that I heard you say is, um, this is not about doing one thing. This is not about, okay, I'm going to be a wartime CEO now. I'm going to apply discipline management. And discipline management means uh, cutting the fat off my team. So I'm going to do a 10% riff. This is about creating a system that allows you to experiment and learn your way towards getting where you need to be. Am I hearing those two things right? Yes. Okay. An excellent, an excellent distillation as always. Yeah. Um, when you are in a place where there isn't, where any advisor who is, who is telling you what to do cannot possibly have had success because there's no advisor who's talking to you who actually has been through this exact moment in time before. And any advice you would get needs to be predicated on what you are like, as opposed to how does it work? Um, then you need to find your own path, but the way to find your, there is a way to find your own path that is effective. And let me just clarify for folks who are listening. I, I don't think Jeff here is saying, um, you know, ignore uh, your supporters, ignore your mentors, ignore your board. I think I hear Jeff saying um, what we're about to talk about is the system you create that allows you to metabolize all those different inputs and pieces of advice in a way that works for you and allows you to treat them as hypotheses that you test, allows you to experiment with them. Yes, you said it far better than I did. I, I, of course, I believe that everybody's well-meaning. In order for somebody to be very good at giving advice, very good, not just like, you know, okay, they have to first have a high degree of personal mastery, and most people don't have that, so therefore you should be suspect of all advice just because it's not clear whether the advice is coming from a place of, I see you clearly, I see this situation clearly, 
and I have a good way to navigate that. And the advice is more coming from this is sort of freaking me out and I'm going to convert that fear state into a reactive statement and feel good that I gave you the reactive statement and judge you if you don't take it to heart and do something with it. Yeah. At some point we might want to do, um, we might want to share our perspective on the difference between advice and coaching. Um, because I think it's important to say, you know, part of what we're doing here is we're sharing our observations um, and uh, and and not trying to offer uh, advice. Cool. Um, but let's 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 move let's move into it, Jeff. Okay, so I'm having lunch with Kurt Schwartz, and Kurt says, "I want to help you." Kurt does not, to be clear, he, Kurt is not a diabetes specialist. And he is not a, um, he's not a doctor. He is a guy who has cared about health his whole life. He's tried and exp he's experimented purposefully, failed a lot and gotten to clarity about the ways to think about health, not on what I should do about it. Kurt was playing the role of a clarity coach. So I want to talk about what are the different kinds of coaches and why having Kurt as my clarity coach was the ultimate, the best first step towards setting up the learning system, to setting up my way to learn my way to success. So let's think of coaching in terms of what the coach is trying to do. Sometimes a coach is trying to provide a safe space where you feel okay about talking or discussing the things that either are unmentionable, unmentionable or unspeakable in other company. Leadership is a very lonely sort of place. And I can't walk around talking about how I think my people are terrible. And I can't share with them that I'm afraid for the future of the company. I can't do those things because people freak out. And so I need a safe space to talk about that. And I turn to my coach and my business coach is the person who listens to me. And it makes me feel better to have a place to talk, to have a person to talk to I trust. And the way the coach helps me navigate the conversation, my, my dialogue, actually helps me talk my way to a bit of understanding. Um, but at the very least, the sense of peace. I think that form of coaching is incredibly important. In fact, this morning I was having a struggle and my wife sat down and listened to me as I sort of rambled for 30 minutes. And by the end of the 30 minutes, I felt much, much better. So I think that has a lot of, that has a lot of benefit. But when I got my diabetes diagnosis, my wife didn't know what to do about that. She was almost as affected about it as affected by it as I was. She didn't know what to do. So this thing that we often call comfort coaching, which is where a coach creates a system of space for a for a um, for you to be able to articulate where you're going through, give voice to it, and through that articulation, that externalization, get to some level of like peace and comfort. That wasn't what I needed in that moment. In order to save my life, that's not what I needed. There are other kinds of coaches who are experts at a particular skill. They're experts at a particular form of something. This often is equated with sports coaches. Sports coaches, you know, maybe it's a football coach. They know how to win a game or a hockey coach. They know how the game works. They know how to win a game. They know the individual skills that people need to win that game. 
And so they know how to hold people to account, to measure that, to hold people to account, to practice, et cetera. And in the business, in my health journey, what that looked like would have been, hey, listen, we need to get you on insulin. We need to radically alter your diet. We need to like, here are the skills that are needed. It's pretty clear. It's very close to advisory. Um, It goes beyond advisory in that it is also sort of a delivery mechanism for that advice and following up and accountability on that advice. But I'd already talked to a number of world experts and they disagreed Um, and they were equally qualified and they fundamentally disagreed on the path forward because they weren't putting me in the picture. They were just talking in general about how things should work. So I knew I didn't want that kind of coach. What Kurt did was said, let me understand your goals. Let me understand why those goals are important. And let's start learning about you and learning about the system around you to understand what got you to this place in the first place. Because until I understand that, I'm really not going to understand how to help you get to where you want to go. And we started having these really profound conversations which in the moment, by the way, felt pretty luxurious. In other words, like I was sitting there with Kurt going, why are we talking about this? Like I'm dying. So you want to talk about my life in 30 years and I'm telling you, I'm hoping to make it three. So why are we talking about this stuff? But he asked me to trust him and I did. And so we started talking about it and we started talking about my vision for what I really cared about. And we started talking about what my life would be in 30 years if I achieved my goals. And we started discussing this concept that we came to call 30 bitching years, which is what would it be like to live the next 30 years into your potential, into your health potential in this particular case. But when talentism clarity coaches work with, with clients, it's into their business potential. And he said, imagine this, like, where, what are you doing? And I said, well, someday I hope I have grandkids and I'd really like to play with them. Okay, good. Well, what does it feel like to play with your grandkids, et cetera? So he started taking me through these visualization exercises. Do you want to be helping people build their businesses in 30 years? I said, yeah. And he said, okay, well, that'll be tough if you're not here. He said, do you want to actually, um, you know, you, you got married relatively young. You had kids relatively young. You're, you're 57 now. Do you want to travel in your 70s? Yeah. He's like, well, isn't traveling pretty exhausting? I'm like, yeah, like I can barely do it now. He said, okay, well, what would it be like to not have it be exhausting? And we had this series of conversations where we kept adding up this picture to get a rich visualization of my goals and why they mattered to me. And he was using evidence to get there. He wasn't just saying, hey, just draw a picture. He's like, Do you like spending time with your family? Have you spent time with your family to date? He was asking those kinds of questions. So the first thing he was helping me do is invest in getting real clear on where I wanted to go, even in the midst of fear that was guiding me to say, I don't know why we're talking about this. Like things may end real soon. And I see this with my clients and I think talentism coaches see this with their clients because They'll be talking to them. The coach will be like, the client will say, you don't understand. Like, I'm going to run out of money in six months. I need to talk about that. And we have to reorient them to the only thing that's going to fundamentally drive you through this is this deep sense of meaning and commitment. (laughs) Because what you're about to go through hell. 
And so we need to orient that. So that was the first thing that he did. The next thing he did is he started helping me reorient who I was in the picture of that goal. So I had struggled with my health all my life and he, and he, uh, and, and so I sort of had this narrative, right? And this narrative was, I'm really bad at my health. I'm bad at exercise. I'm bad at eating. I'm bad at everything with regards to my health. And through, again, through asking for evidence, not through attaboy speeches, nothing, just asking for evidence, we started to put together this picture. It wasn't true I was bad at health. What I was bad at was the speed of change. So in other words, we were able to go back through my history and we figured out that there were at least 15 different times where I had tried to tackle a health challenge. And during those moments where I was trying to tackle that challenge, I had been pretty disciplined. I'd focused on diet. I'd focused on exercise. And I had done a reasonable job by all the lagging measures, and we'll talk about this, but by all the lagging measures that we typically use to evaluate health, I had done a pretty good job with that. And then I would drop it. And in dropping it, I felt like a failure. I just felt like, you know, it's a classic health sort of thing. Like you go on a diet, you drop it, you gain the weight back, and then some. I didn't understand why that was happening. I told myself a self BSL narrative. I really, um, I really judged myself harshly. And in that harsh judgment, I was totally missing the big picture. And the big picture was I had a compulsion to health that had a bad system of support. I had built a bad system of support. I had prioritized a lot of other things. I had put a lot of other feedback mechanisms in place that gave me immediate feedback on how I was doing as a parent or as a husband or as a uh, son or a brother or in my business. I didn't have those feedback mechanisms in my health. And so therefore, again, you're falling to the level of your systems in the area where my systems were good, i.e. my parenting systems, et cetera, I was experiencing some level of success. In the area where my systems were bad, I was having a lot of volatility. But the evidence was there that I cared about my health, but that the system, but I was fighting my own system. And so first... Can, can I pause you for a second? Because again, I, I think you're um, outlining some important points for us. I just want to put a point on them. The first, the first thing that I heard you say that was really important in this journey um, was uh, you were in a moment of fear. And when fear is motivation, it doesn't give us staying power to do the hard stuff. And so what Kurt was helping you do was finding motivation to go through what you were about to go to that came from a different place than fear. And for you, it was, what could the future be that was meaningful to you? So starting by recommitting from meaning, from purpose, and not from fear. The second thing I heard you say was uh, you had a story you were telling yourself about how you got to this place. And implicit in that story was a diagnosis that, hey, I'm just not good at this. And we hear this a ton with our clients. I'm just not good at this. And I think that what I heard you say is Kurt didn't accept that story. He said, okay, maybe. 
but he asked for evidence. And the evidence actually suggested that there was an orientation to focusing on health, lots of evidence of that, but that as compared to other places where you have an orientation or a compulsion, this drive, you didn't have a good system when it came to health. And so now you're armed with this different diagnosis. Oh, in places where I have a compulsion or a drive and I have a good system, I get good results. This is a place where I have compulsion, but no system. Maybe that's the reason I'm getting bad results. Those are the two things that I heard are sort of critical elements of, of setting, up this, uh, s- setting up this system around you. Correct. Yep. Great. A great, perfect articulation. When I reframed it from self BSL, like that thing that exists in all of us that judges ourselves harshly because we lack the discipline, the character, the intelligence, the drive to get something done, we actually obscure the truth of we aren't designing well. The reason we start with the, we're apes with calculators, primates with calculators, we aren't robots with hearts, is you have to orient to the fact that we design our lives in such a way that limits us. And I had designed my health life in a way that had limited me. And there are different components to that. We went through each of the components um, and we could talk about that. But when I saw clearly that the story wasn't Jeff is an overweight guy who can't deal effectively with his health to Jeff is a guy who's compulsive about his health and he keeps ignoring how bad the system is he set up to support that compulsion. It completely changed me. It completely opened my aperture on the solutions and what I could do. And I believe when I'm talking to founders and they express to me imposter syndrome or the things that a lot of founders have, which is like, wow, I'm just not a good CEO. I'm not a good manager. I'm not a good hiring manager. I'm not good at raising money. I'm not good at fill in the blank. The business mad libs. And I reorient them to you actually have shown talent or compulsion in these areas, but you have built a system that doesn't allow you to gain mastery and leverage those things so that you can achieve your goals. It's sort of like, oh my gosh, but it's just a reframing, right? It's a reframing from the old narrative of if we have something that other people judge bad in us, we suck to if we have something that is preventing us from achieving our goals, we are blind. And I believe that pivot is in, in essential and inherent in clarity coaching and missed in other forms of coaching. I want to pause for a second because there, there could be folks listening who are saying, this seems a little Pollyanna-ish, like, oh, I can just, I can do anything if I have a system for it. But I, 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 what I heard you say is, if there's evidence of compulsion, you keep going towards this thing, or there's evident of, evidence of talent. There's something that you're doing here well that it's worth supporting. Then it's worth going to, okay, if those things exist, why isn't it working? And the default, oh, I'm just not good enough at it, is a disservice rather than looking at what could allow me to amplify the natural compulsion and the natural talent that exists. 
And so I just want to differentiate that from you can be good at anything. Yes, uh, this is inherent in the talentism IP. You you may be able to get quote unquote good at anything. You cannot be excellent at anything, and excellence is a standard. In my case, in the health case, my standard wasn't I want to be a little less diabetic. I want to be a little, I want to not die in three years. I want to die in five years. That wasn't the standard. I wasn't trying to go for a little less worse. And typically when we see people sort of accepting goals from others or accepting, um, you know, missions or visions from others, that's basically the standard they're setting is like, oh, I'll be pretty good at this. We believe inherent in business competitive advantage, personal competitive advantages, you got to actually be excellent and you actually have to be on the path to the path of excellence. And so in my case, like I needed to live, I needed to have a system that took all my leading indicators down to like, you'll always be a diabetic. That's a thing you've got, but you don't, you're not going to die from it. You're not limited by it. So you can actually um, live the 30 bitchin years you want. So we're not seeking to say like, just be a little bit better. And, and this is something we talked about in a prior podcast. If you right now are in the, you, know, you got dropped into this jungle where cost of talent, cost of capital, cost of growth, need for talent, need for, uh, need for growth, need for capital, those things are like completely unfamiliar and you got dropped into this jungle and you're like, what the heck I do? And you're sitting there and you're saying, all I need to do is getting through this next three to six months. You're probably not going to get through the next three to six months. If all you're saying is, I just need to get, I just need to survive. You can't sit in the middle of a, of a jungle and hope that food comes to you. You can't sit and hope that like food, water, and shelter is coming to you. That's not what's going to happen. You're going to have to chart a path to success. And if your chart, if your path to success at this point of time is, I'm going to cut my way to success. I'm going to hunker down and survive. I'm going to backtread and hope that like, you know, I give up on all these opportunities or whatever. Maybe, maybe you sort of survive. Who knows? I think the odds are low, but maybe you sort of survive. But like, you aren't going to be, you aren't going to have the company you want. You aren't going to achieve your goals. So what I'm talking about is look at the evidence of where your compulsion really is. Look at that evidence of what did you do even when nobody was watching? What did you do even when there seemed like there was no real incentive to do it? And if you show talent and compulsion in those areas and it still isn't working for you, it's a system level diagnosis. It's not a personal failure. Yeah. Okay. This, I think this was a useful tangent, but I want to make sure we get back to this idea of how to help people who are looking for a playbook recognize that what they're actually trying to build is a learning system. So let's go back to that conversation with Kurt and what changed for you. So the first thing that happened is Kurt's my clarity coach and he's starting me, he's starting to help me see that I need a system and I need to reorient myself in that system. I need to understand my past successes and failures and struggles in light of the system level diagnosis, not in the Jeff is bad diagnosis, not because we're trying to like 
buoy everybody up and say everybody has you know like let's make your self-esteem good but because it's the most practical way to unleash potential and get performance up so then the next thing kurt starts doing is saying okay let's define what a good system looks like and the first thing he said to me is he like okay well how do you know you're healthy and i said well i weigh myself he said okay he said that is a terrible way to know whether you're healthy first of all you were losing weight as you were dying. So you were, you can't possibly believe that as your weight was dropping, you were getting healthier. Secondly, weight is a highly fluctuating indicator of what's happening in your body. And it actually um, can go up when you're getting healthy and go down when you're getting unhealthy. In general, of course, People's weight does correlate to some degree to their health over long periods of time in different ways, but it's a lagging indicator of your health. We need to start synthesizing your health through leading indicators. And it was brilliant because what he helped me see is there were other indicators that gave me a really clear articulation of whether I was building a system that would encourage my encourage and support my health. So I stopped focusing on weight and I started focusing on number of hours on my feet. I stopped focusing on whether I could do some big event, run a marathon or whatever, and started focusing on a measure called VO2 max, the amount of oxygen my body can consume in a certain period of time under, under load or stress. I started measuring lean body mass, which and by the way, I was started adding lean body mass, which increased my weight. But it actually formed these leading indicators formed an formed a uh, picture for me of whether I was doing the things day in and day out that were going to lead to long term success in my thirty bitch and years goal. In our business and what we do, we talk to people about the leading indicators of whether your organization is actually healthy, because we believe that financial indicators are lagging indicators. If you have a bad revenue month, that, that bad revenue month actually occurred months ago, many, many months ago, sometimes a year ago. That bad uh, revenue month is because of your strategy, which you formed a long time ago. It's because of um, bad hiring practices, bad management practices, taking your eye off the ball, letting things be broken for long periods of time, and you feeling like, oh, I just don't, I just don't have the time to deal with it. All the indicators that people typically look at to assess the health of a business are lagging indicators, and sometimes they are far lagging indicators. And the other thing about lagging indicators, just like when I was stepping on the scale and I was losing weight while I was dying, sometimes those numbers are going in the right direction for the wrong reason. Sometimes you are growing because of a weird point in time thing, not because your business is doing better. And I would point out that everybody, all the big layoffs that are happening in high tech are to take their headcounts back roughly to pre-pandemic levels. Because during pre-pandemic levels, there was this point of time of easy capital, easy growth, 
relatively easy talent, not as easy as capital and growth. And that got interpreted as we are a killer business. We know what we're doing. We're making the right strategic moves, the right investments, and this shit's going to go on forever. And guess what? When the capital dried up, the talent got more difficult, and therefore the growth got more difficult, it didn't continue. Each of these places had to make sudden, drastic moves that impacted their employees, their investors, et cetera, because all the numbers were trending in the right way, and it was because of the wrong reason. And so I believe that when you are thinking about building a system of health, you need to be focused on leading indicators, not lagging indicators. And in our mind, the ultimate leading indicators are the your state of mind, your 3C, the people around you 3C, your enterprises 3C. The degree of confusion, clarity, and certainty people have about the critical elements of how your business functions and what it's trying to do. And when I saw that from my health perspective, it radically altered my life. People think that, you know, I achieve this diabetes outcome and they're like, oh, you must be in the gym all the time. And, and I do exercise a lot more, mostly because I've just found a real love of it after going through like four months of hating it. Um, but I found a real love of it. The change didn't happen then. The change happened when I asked my wife if I could unload the dishwasher in the morning. Because what I realized is I was getting up in the morning and I was immediately picking up email because that was the reward system. And I said, I'm going to put my phone in the other room and I'm going to wake up, go into the kitchen. I'm going to start doing chores. And the data showed very clearly that my Uh, activity was going up throughout the day by starting that way, not with a big exercise routine, not with anything dramatic, but with just getting on my feet, staying busy, staying on my feet. And that started to give me a sense of motion that then led into exercise and other things. And Kurt was the first person to help me see this. I would say, hey, Kurt, I'm going to do this big workout this weekend. And he'd say, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Could you just go on two walks, two short walks instead of one big workout? And I'd be like, what are you, nuts? Like working out is is the secret. That's what I should be doing. He's like, no, we want you to start to enjoy being active. That's a system you want. You want a really positive reward signal in the moment from being active. In our clients, what we would typically say is, don't think about that big org design change. Don't think about that big overhaul. How about this week, you just go have a really good feedback conversation with your CFO. And, and then once you have it, let's talk about it so I can figure out, all, so I can help you see all the ways that was awesome. We want to build in simple things that start to reinforce the an essence of the system is supporting you towards your goal. It's not a big bang thing. It's not one big change. It's a consistent set, um, consistent set of learning. Once you have those measures, then you can experiment quickly. It's super cool. Once you have a hypothesis about what you're trying to achieve, and you can actually do something in a short period of time and get feedback through a, through a measurement system that tells you, like, then it's super cool because all you're doing all the time is experimenting. 
I wasn't trying to, I wasn't even focused day to day on 30 bitching years or trying to survive more than three years or whatever it was. I was just like, I wonder if I do the dishes, you know, in the morning, whether I have more activity that day. I wonder if that's what happens. And then the next day I was like, I wonder if I go outside when I first get up, if I sleep better that night. And it was those little interventions and those little experiments that led to massive changes. And in our work, I believe the same thing. I think our clients are coming to us. They say, give me the playbook. We say, there's no playbook. And then they say, okay, tell me the one thing I need to do to actually be more effective with time management. I just had this call this morning. Tell me what I need to do with better time management. I'm like, you ever read a time management book before? Of course. I've read 20 of them. I'm like, and you think the 21st is going to take hold? You think like, that's the thing? You didn't read enough books? You didn't talk to a guy like me who says, what you got to do is put the big rocks in first or whatever, you know, silly aphorism you got. There's a reason you're not prioritizing. There's a reason you're not. And it's not because you're bad and it's not because you're stupid and it's not because you're lazy. It's because you've literally built your environment to make sure you don't do that. So let's go figure out what that environment is. Why are you getting all these reward signals when you do bad things? Why are you feeling like you're ineffective when you're doing good things? What's happening? And why is that happening? (coughs) So Kurt helped me see that the path to quick experiments, to learn fast, to get really excited about learning every day was these small learning loops that were driven by small experiments that were dri- that enabled me to measure things in, in uh, different ways with leading indicators. And those leading indicators, and Kurt always said it, he said, look, these leading indicators will add up to lagging success. And they did. They ended up that way with my blood sugar. They ended up that way with my fatty liver. They ended up that way with my neuropathy, my sight, and with my weight. It worked on all of it, but I didn't prioritize any of those things because prioritizing those things would have focused me on the wrong thing, which is it would have focused me on my failures and my struggles as opposed to the design of the system that was going to lead me to success. So Jeff, there's something, um, there's something in what you're describing that when when we actually try and practice it, when I work with my clients who are actually trying to practice, it feels very hard. So I heard you say, um, I was in a moment of fear, panic. I could uh, lose my life. (laughs) And thankfully, that's not what most of my clients are saying right now. But many of them are saying like, look, if I can't drive sales and I can't prove product market fit or I can't, uh, you know, I, I, I can't prove that I merit my valuation. I'm not going to be able to raise. That's the end of this company. And I heard you say that even in that moment where the temptation was to try and manipulate those measures that felt most correlated to sort of making a difference in your longevity, you, you pulled away from those measures and you focused on the system. So kind of like telling our clients, yeah, don't try and force the sales figure out what is the system that enables you to lean into what you're compulsive about that will eventually fuel sales in your organization. And that might mean you don't actually participate in sales. It might mean that you mentor and nurture people who drive sales. 
It might mean that you're a cog in the machine of people who run sales because you're actually just brilliant at, you know, uh, describing the vision of the company. Who knows? The reason I bring that up is because that counterintuitive motion, backing away from the thing you actually feel like you need to make impact on and taking more of a systems view, and in fact, the system around yourself I think can feel very difficult in a moment where you feel the urgency and the panic of the possible demise of your organization. Or if it's not that dramatic, then, you know, uh, potentially looking at a down round or a riff or, or something like that. And so I'd love your thoughts on, on what it was that enabled you to do that in that scary moment or how you help founders in that moment not get drawn to uh, what feels like uh, the the way out of this this scary moment. I want to first acknowledge that there are many things in our lives that people come, they show up, and they tell you something that is a simple and profound truth. And because, and it's much simpler, and it's much more likely to be successful than the thing we do today. And we hold on to the thing we do today. We all do it. It's very difficult for the mind to see itself in its own mental model. It's very difficult for the mind to break out of those patterns. And it feels much more comfortable, much better to do the wrong thing to death than to do the right thing to life. Because I know the wrong thing to do. I'm familiar with the wrong thing to do. And I've lived a life of where I've sort of seen that succeed sometime and not thought, oh, maybe I got lucky or something else. It was like, no, I did that. It works. And then you just keep doing it again and again and again. And that's the very definition of insanity. But at some level, we're all primates with calculators. We're all a little bit irrational. We're all a little bit insane. So it makes a lot of sense to me when my clients are like, no, no, Jeff, you don't understand. I know what I'm doing doesn't work, but what you're saying is crazy. And then I say, does it sound like it's, you know, does it sound better? Oh yeah, it sounds better than what I'm doing, but it sounds crazy. And so I can't do it. And I understand that. I understand why, um, you know, I, I'm sure I'm going to get the statistic wrong, but 85% of men who have heart attacks do not alter their diet or, or, um, exercise routines. Even though it is materially life or death. I went in about five months after my diagnosis and I had a set of blood tests and my, my A1C had dropped like six points, which they thought was physiologically impossible, by the way. And this endocrinologist took this blood test, came back in and said, this is a little shocking. Like we've never seen this before. Could you could you talk to the doctors of my practice and tell me and tell us how you did it? So like all of these doctors eventually gathered in the room and I went through it and I said, I, I'm really struggling to see how anything I did is that revolutionary. Like it seems pretty simple. There's lots of literature out there. It's pretty common sense. And to a person, they all agreed and they all said, but nobody ever does it. So it's not like people don't know the thing, like if you're in unfamiliar territory, it's territory that's really unique to you. There's no real playbook for it. You're going to have to learn your way out of this situation. You need a good system. You need a coach to help you through that system. You need to measure success in different ways. You need to run smaller experiments. 
it's not like any of that's news. I can point to a hundred different texts that lay out all of that. The thing that the the thing that put me in the fifteen percent or whatever the percentage is that didn't fail, at least you know so far, is um, I went to my I found a clarity coach and I trusted him, and I don't know how many of our clients are willing to do that. I don't know how many are willing to say. So let, let me let me explain it this way. So after I started working with Kurt. Kurt and I started mapping out the entire health system around me. Every element of my food environment, every element of my activity environment, my relationships, like it was just an ongoing weekly dialogue to keep mapping out the system, seeing all the feedback loops, all this stuff. And at a certain point, I created this big, hairy, audacious goal that I'm very excited about, which is I want to swim the English Channel. And, uh, just to be clear, if you drop me in the English channel today, that wouldn't go well. So this is a big goal. It's a big stretch thing. And what I realized was, okay, a couple of things. One is like, I'm not going to get there without help. And two is there's a thing that's still clarity oriented, but is different than what Kurt's doing, which is like, how do I, again, there's no real playbook for the English channel. There's lots of advice. There's lots of like, people will tell you, you have to gain some weight. You have to lose some weight. You have to hydrate before or hydrate, like all this stuff. And then everybody that I talked to is like, eh, this is kind of like everybody figures out their own thing. Like you got to get a pilot. You got to do some things the same as everybody else. But a lot of this is you're going to have to figure out your own form. And so I needed a coach to help me with that, which isn't what Kurt was doing. Kurt was helping me with the overall health system. Now I needed a swim the channel system. And uh, Kurt connected me to a guy named Andrew, and I, I won't give Andrew's full name because I didn't get his permission, but another amazing human being. And Andrew started doing the exact same thing Kurt was doing, but at a smaller level. Andrew would say, Jeff, I want you to do this exercise. And I'd be like, that's nuts. Andrew, like I've lifted weights before. Why is lifting five pounds this way going to do anything for me? That just makes no sense. But I trusted Andrew and I did it. And my God, it made sense. It worked. It worked. I had to hang in there for a little bit with it, but it actually solved the underlying structural problem I was trying to deal with. It was this little movement with a little weight, but it sort of did this massive unlock on this whole muscle group. My point is, I don't know how to get to clarity on these things. I turn to people I trust who have actually worked hard to develop an expertise, a level of personal mastery, a level of skill mastery and personal responsibility to tell me when they don't know, to invest in me and be available to me. Both Kurt and Andrew hear from me all the time. Like I'm, I'm always so surprised in my coaching relationships, how my how little um, my clients use me compared to like what they could. Because I'm a total sucker for their problems. And so they could write me anytime or whatever, and I'd be texting them. And some of my clients do that, but a lot are like, okay, we'll talk every two weeks. I'm like, that's two weeks of learning we could lose. So I'm so I use my coaches. I use my clarity coaches. I'm trying to figure out what they're seeing. I'm trying to make sense of their advice. I'm trusting them. I'm running the experiments diligently. I'm tracking that. I'm tracking the the 
outputs of those things. I'm comparing it to the hypothesis going in. I'm tracking the pains I'm feeling and the confusions I'm having. I'm sharing that with my coach. Um, I'm reflecting weekly. Another thing I do is every week I write a big health reflection to all the people in my system. So I'm telling them like, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's, so they all are sharing that view within that system about what I'm going through and what I need help. Um, and so I think, you know, long-winded answer to your question, Angie, is look, clarity coaching is expensive. And if you are going to pay that money, you probably should trust the person who's trying to take you down this path. And when they say, I understand you're scared shitless and I understand you think like you have to go get product market fit by you diving into the do level and micromanaging and everything, that's probably not going to work. Uh, and even if it does work, it'll only work for a little bit of time and then cause a lot of fragility later. Here's a better way to do it. Let's learn our way into what the best way is. Um, if you can't listen to that, if you can't find some peace or comfort in the fact that somebody is helping you through that and instead it's like, no, 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 you don't get it. Yeah, maybe you'll be successful, but probably not. I thank you for that. We're out of time. Um, and so I, I think uh, I, I won't conclude by, by trying to recap or summarize. Um, instead, I'll say that we're looking forward to hearing about how your system evolves. Um, and, uh, and in particular, when you're planning to swim the English Channel. Yeah. Well, it's going to be July 21st, 19, uh, 2020. Well, I got to do the math. My 65th birthday. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. I think that's eight years from now. So we're looking at 2041. There we go. Bingo. So much all better right. at math than me. Always have been. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you, Angie. I really appreciate it.